While they're all talking state standards, we're sitting on a bar stool making fun of them. Classroom Brew Podcast. Everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Uh, if you want, you can reach out at Classroom Brew on social media or classroombrew at gmail.com. You can support us by subscribing on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash classroombrew. For this one, we have, this is back-to-back weeks now where we have a teacher slash author. Uh, so this week we have Miriam. So Miriam, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. So I, I saw too, you reached out to, to Matt and I through the email uh, because you've published this book and what's What's the word I'm looking for? What's promising for me is that more and more teachers are actually going forth and writing things that are going to be useful. Uh, I feel like whenever I go to like a PD or something like that, it's someone that maybe has one or two years of experience, but you actually have a wealth of experience. I I think you're in Maryland, right? I am in Maryland, yes. Okay. So you have all this experience. You've been a, a, you're a national board certified teacher. uh, And now I, I think, is your role currently instructional coaching? Yes. Uh, so technically, it's called an instructional specialist. It's like an in-district consultant type of job where you go from school to school supporting instruction. Okay, sure. So coming from the classroom, what was the like your reasoning for transitioning from teaching into an instructional specialist? For me, it's always about impact and how you can measure that. And I had sort of gotten to a point, I'd been in the classroom for about 20 years. I had been, I had transitioned into school leadership. I was uh, doing in-house professional development for a whole school. I was leading a department. And I just wanted to see how more schools worked. Because one thing I noticed was that when you are in one school for too long, you see how that school works, but you're not really necessarily having a different perspective. And so once sure. I started going to a bunch of them, it wasn't just about my influence. It was about, honestly, a little bit selfishly, my own learning, what I could get from all these different buildings and all these sure. people. Yeah, you're trying to grow and develop and constantly challenge yourself. and that's that's. Part of the reason why some people stay in their building, like even if they're frustrated or they're like, oh, I feel kind of stagnant, they kind of know where the skeletons are, like what closets to avoid and which ones to stay into. Um, is that a scary transition? Is it something that you open or you welcome openly or, or what's that like usually? So for me, I'm really unusual, perhaps, in that I, I love change when it comes okay. to my professional <laughs> life. I just sure. really like seeing the way different things can work. Uh, maybe not that way as much personally, but. I was also, I taught in one school for most of my career, and that was my happy teaching place. Hmm. But I knew that it was also a stagnant place. And so it had to be me sort of giving myself a pep talk saying, if this is, if this is how you want to end it, you know, at 30 plus years in, you can do that. And that's, that's completely legitimate. And it works for so many people, but this is what you want for yourself. Right, right. I'm sure that was probably very conflicting, of course, but. And we should mention too, for for the listener, she's talking about a real pep talk, not the pep talks that we do on this podcast that are very, very tongue in cheek. But um, so when you when you come to that decision, is that something that because um, I've also contemplated the idea of leaving schools or staying or whatever it may be, 
Uh, and I'm still at my original school. I'm only like six years in though. Um, and I kind of would play it where it's like, one day I think, all right, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. The next day I think I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm staying. Uh, what's your process like for that as you, I mean, I know you like change. You prefer to like constantly evolve and things like that. But what's your like day-to-day process like? Because you have their faces in front of you. You're teaching every day. You're a known commodity in the school. How do you kind of get yourself ready for that? The idea for me is to constantly be aware of that no matter how many years you've been in the field, whether it's six years like you or 20 plus years like me, you've never got it. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is we're trying to figure out, we <laughs> haven't figured it out. You right, know? Right. And I get scared when I meet people who think they have because I'm not sure what their process is like. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're not good at your job or even excellent or perhaps even the best if you want to be superlative in your building or whatever you want to call it. Sure. Um, but there are a bazillion people out there who are still doing it better than you or who know things that you don't or who see things that are not obvious to you. So that's why ultimately I picked a job where I'm literally in a different building every day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what does your day-to-day look like then? Are you, are you constantly, I mean, I'm sure some of it because of COVID is going to be digital, but what does it look like for your typical, like, let's say a typical five-day week? Typical five-day week could have me in anywhere between five and 10 schools, sometimes Mm -hmm. more than that, sometimes less depending. Um, Sometimes I'm working with teachers, so I'm observing instruction. Sometimes I'm teaching teachers at night or in the evenings when they're more available. Um, about the whole craft and art of teaching and the skill of it as well. Sometimes it's working with administration teams or other leaders to work with initiatives that are very specific to what my content background is, which is secondary English language arts and literacy. Mm-hmm. So I have that vantage point. Um, so ultimately, it's it's about 100 schools, oh, give or take, sure. through the course of however many days. And and it's also you know professional development and training for leaders and working on those and doing so, you know, this week I might be talking to people who are tutoring kids after school and telling them what to look for in the curriculum, or I might be in a classroom debriefing and observation, or I might be um, talking to our secondary leaders about what we're working on with, with more district-wide initiatives. So it just changes from day to day. Sure. And if you like that kind of existence, it's fantastic. <laughs> but I can also understand. And also, I mean, the thing, the thing that you miss in a position like this is more direct contact with kids. Sure, sure. Well, that's kind of the, the balance you have to strike for yourself is when you uh, they, the I don't know if this is universal to all people in their teacher prep program but we had the, prof- the professor that would say it's like a river of drowning babies have you heard this really morbid <laughs> comparison that they made where it's like do you want to like jump into the river and grab each individual baby or leave those and then move upstream and I'm like that's a little dark Jen and she's like I know but it's kind of moving I was upstream say, there's there's got to be a nicer way to say that <laughs> I know, right? I know. I, I, uh, it's like it's like so my I, I taught for many years uh, high school and they like to make what they call dead baby jokes and and for oh, me especially after I had had children I was like could yeah. you not it's, right it's can we not, please not yeah there, there are many forms of humor out there and could we refrain from this one please thank you <laughs> I think the main thing that we went with was because uh, we we had a an episode a while ago where it came up and we were like why is it so dark like this is also like a Friday night you know we're recording the podcast the best we can come up with that was like it's not as visual obviously uh it was like a leaky pipe <laughs> do you shut the water off and go figure out what the problem is or do you start fixing the water? i like that better but uh but it sounds like you've, yeah. you've kind of made that you know transition up the plumbing system or up the river <laughs> we'll go with that uh too. i like plumbing system actually i think that's more accurate <laughs> in many ways yeah that's very true it's very true for the world that we live in uh, but so what really stood out to me uh when when you reached out to us 
was that you have a very student-centered approach. And you actually say that, you know, the relationships that you develop with students and the, the mindset that you have for kids and you develop for kids, that's the main way to make a classroom where you don't feel like you have to constantly hover and do all these, you know, micro decisions every single day. So with that, like, can you tell us a little bit about the book? And uh, we have not gotten our copy yet, but uh, if anyone out there is maybe thinking about, you know, trying to not be on like 150% of the time doing all these little things, uh, but tell us a little bit about the book and then we can kind of go in from there. All right. So the book is called Teach More, Hover Less. And the subtitle is How to Stop Micromanaging Your Secondary Classroom. Love that. And it was really born out of my own, well, initially. So I, I taught. Um, and I came home exhausted the first like 10 years of my career. I came home with nothing in the tank and I started thinking there must be a better way to do this where I'm not talking so much because I don't have the most powerful vocal instrument after a while. And the other thing I noticed was that when I started having my own children, I would come home and I'd given my whole day to other kids who were amazing, but then I didn't have anything left for my own. Sure. So I started thinking, how can I hand some of what, what, what do I have to do and what can they do? Mm-hmm. And I started to hone methods that worked in my classroom. But then what I noticed is that when I would try to explain it to other teachers, especially when I, I took on more leadership roles, it wasn't translating. <laughs> so the book was really born out of, I need to, to make this more systematic and I need to make a communication thing where it's not just in my head, it's, it's actually somewhere that people can get it. Mm-hmm. So the book was written as a four-step guide to achieving this type of what I call a hover-free classroom. And the book has more more tools and strategies and resources in it than it has anything else. I didn't want to write a whole lot of stuff because one thing, you know, you mentioned professional development. We read a lot of education books and so many awesome resources out there. And it's especially wonderful in the summer when we're in our thinking space and yay, we can really dig in. But what if it's the middle of the year or even I'm teaching summer school or whatever? I don't have time and it's not practical. So the idea behind the book is you can open up to any section, any page, pull out a resource and use it in your own way, mm-hmm. in a way that makes sense. And that will give you less to do and kids more to do. And, and that's really the goal. So last week I'm in a classroom and the teachers in that whole, um, I call it the Ferris Bueller space. Anyone, anyone, <laughs> anyone yeah. knows what to do. And the students in the classroom are lovely. They're, they're trying to be kind. But it's it's just not that exciting. And and there were so many different ways in that space that it could have been given to them. It's not saying anyone know what this is. Mm-hmm. Let them talk about the topic first among themselves. Share what, you know, there, there are just little things we can do that get them doing more. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that, that's really what I'm passionate about. So when you first started, um, and was this, I'm assuming this book was something that came, you know, over the course of a long period of time. You didn't just sit down and look back and say, oh, that's what I was doing when I was teaching. This is something that's been, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like drawn out, uh, developed over time. What were some of like the initial systems that you put in place where you're like, yes, this is an opportunity where I can start to give students more ownership, make these systems that, you know, are going to work for me? There are, there are a couple of things that I did that were quick, but very powerful. One of them was the, along the lines of talking less, I found ways to, for lack of a better term, shut up. Like I just, I just stop. And you know, if what I would, I would literally sit in my classroom, and I would give them something to talk about that was really accessible. Like everybody in the classroom, it wasn't dependent on having read something specific. It it connected to our learning goal, but it wasn't 
it was completely open. Mm -hmm. And I would tell the class, I will not say a word for 20 minutes on the clock. I'm going to sit here and listen to you. And I'm going to write stuff down so that, you know, I have information that I need to move forward with this topic. Because it tells me what you know. And I found that when I was listening more and they were talking more, and I would even give them protocols like, you have this many comments to make. And once you've made this many comments, you're done. You have to make at least one and sure. ways to track that as well. So that was one thing. And, and another thing that that really worked for me was a slightly more flexible calendar. So we had, I was in English class, so we have a paper due at the end of the week. We have a project we're working on. A couple days a week, I'm going to let you pick what you work on. You know, you have this choice. And while you're doing that, I'm going to be giving small group instruction to people who are behind, or I'm going to be rotating among the groups, or I'm going to be doing individual conferencing. But I just have freedom that I didn't have before to really check in with people. Sure. So stuff like that. And it takes a lot of trust to even, I mean, 20 minutes, it feels like probably 40 hours, you know, when you're doing that for the first like handful of times or so. Uh, So my mind immediately goes to... Because uh, again, even in my own practice, I've only been doing this for six years or so. And I found myself more comfortable with silence. I found myself more comfortable with those moments where I don't feel like I have to be a jester trying to get their attention. Uh, those kind of moments where I would have described it a few years ago as like, I'm letting them free fall for a second and then I'm going to pick it back up. And that's really not it at all. But my, my mind still goes into this space of when you're going through that process, certain things are going to be a win. They're going to work on some days. Uh, and maybe there's some things that take hold, but what are some of those moments that you were like, all right, I'm going to try this. Uh, and maybe it's like the, some, or those strategies or structures that didn't make it to the book because they, they were not necessarily so successful because I've, I've for sure fallen flat on my face with at least a dozen things every year. If you're just doing it with a dozen a year, I am in awe of you and I need to like hang out <laughs> in the classroom because I face planted all the time. Uh, I still do. So for me, it was more like, can I preserve the idea so that I don't completely throw everything away when something goes wrong? Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think of a specific, there's so many, <laughs> um, so many times I've failed. Right. Uh, okay. So I did a lot of early misstepping with station rotations. Okay. I had a mentor teacher who was like a station rotation like everyone should be watching her class. It was incredible. And kids moving seamlessly from A to B. Sure. And for some reason, like I remember this one time I had these wonderful stations set up and I think I did it in such a way that everyone tried to go to one station. <laughs> all the kids were like doing that thing. Like if we're, if we're going back with the upstream or the downstream, they're all like converging toward one. Right, right. They're and- bottlenecking. And it was one of those situations where it wasn't super fixable because they had all done the other stuff. Sure. And I just completely did not anticipate and I didn't know my class well enough or what they had done Mm -hmm. to set up stations that would actually help them. And so I remember just like watching the chaos (laughs) and and being like, okay, everyone, new plan, new plan. (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, But, you know, I think the thing is when we have those things happen, which is all the time, (laughs) if the kids are with us, They'll laugh right along with us and I'll say, okay, here's what I meant to have happen. Any suggestions for how we can fix this tomorrow or next week so we don't totally get rid of the idea? Because I I didn't want to give up on station rotations forever. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And that kind of thing. But yeah, that's just an example. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's funny you mentioned that too, because I do stations all the time. And granted, there's different ways you can do it. The station has like a different, so I do social studies. So it could be a different document. It could be a different task with a document. It could be a combination. Uh, And it's funny because they do tend to kind of converge all together. And maybe it's because they want to collaborate. Maybe there's, you know, like you said, they have that prior knowledge, but uh, it's for sure. It's something that it's funny you bring that up because that is currently what I'm thinking about in my own practice with like even thinking about like those micro details, so it's funny, the anti-hover, you know, micro details, do I move them on a timer or do I give them free reign, things like that? These are things that group by group, I'm still, you know, six years of doing it, uh, constantly changing it and adapting it. And it looks different from period to period. It's it's such a right fun challenge. Right. <laughs> and do you rotate some of these things? Like you have a timer who's your, one of your students. Yeah, who's yeah telling everyone to move. You know, along it's not just like the the pieces of it, but who's doing them. And also adult learners do the same thing. I did a training that fell completely on its face <laughs> over the summer where we were trying to jigsaw something. Okay. And half the room looked at me and said, Can we just stay on step one, please? <laughs> like I need I need to just do this first part of what we're doing. And I was like, Oh, I had a goal, like, oh, we were gonna jigsaw, we're gonna make something, we're gonna like, okay, sure. I guess we're staying on step one because you have to you have to listen to what the people are saying too. It's like they're telling right. you no. Right, right. You're being responsive essentially in that moment. Um, yeah. For sure, not a great feeling, but it's nice at least when you can have that candid. I mean, they're teachers too in that case. Uh, for those PDs, have you ever had a moment when you're trying to pitch this idea of like the anti-hover classroom? Like I'm sure some people, maybe there's a misconception thinking, well, I have to circulate and give proximity. And you're like, that's not it at all. Uh, do you ever have resistance either from admin or from teachers or from maybe people people that brought you into their district? So one thing that's been really interesting to me is that the student-centered learning has taken a dive over the past year or so since we've returned to classrooms. And I'm really interested to see what starts happening this year because this year things have been the most normal that they've been since, you know, this time three years ago, right? Sure, sure. So student-centered learning was really hard to do on Zoom. It was really hard to do with masks on and social distancing mm-hmm. um, or physical distancing, however you want to call it. <laughs> right. And so people got used to teaching in a way that was really for compliance, like into configurations where kids would sit and they would learn. Mm-hmm. Because kids also, their behavior has changed a lot. Um, there's true. been a lot of, for, and, and they're going to do studies on this and they're going to figure out like in 20 years, <laughs> why kids who, why kids were so angry mm-hmm. last year and we yeah. all have theories. So when you put all that together, you know, I go into a school and I say, oh, you know, how about if we, if we do it this way and people agree with me, I don't encounter a lot of resistance because okay, student center learning is not a new thing. What I get a lot of is pushback about how much people think it's going to be harder Mm-hmm. in terms of work they think it's going to be harder work and i also get pushed back in terms of oh so you're telling me not to teach sure there's the misconceptions you know creeping back in yeah right so these are the misconceptions that hover free or student-centered teaching means you're jettisoning the curriculum and letting the kids take over that is not true the curriculum does not change what you teach does not change you are the teacher that is your decision you're just asking more questions and listening more to kids than you have been right Right. And, you know, you're, you're not considering yourself the only expert in the room on everything. And I, I think so that's I, the kind that, yeah, I think I understand that fear because especially if someone's been doing it for however many years, you know, they're thinking like, you know, I've worked so hard to create this. I have this scope and sequence in mind or whatever. Uh, uh, but like you said, it really is just about listening to what the students are going to need, which is 
I guess you can almost frame it as this is your first formative before you even start to the point where you can figure out what is uh, redundant in this case, or what do I need to you know support more or less. But uh, that's encouraging though that more people are are open to it. Uh, yeah, and the hard work objection. What I try to say is, it's not working more; it's working differently. Working differently. Yeah, so yeah. You're, you're just reconceiving the way that the class is configured, but you're doing the same amount of work. You're giving the same assignments. You might be open to collecting assignments in a different format if that's possible. Mm-hmm. You know, you're social studies, so you understand. Sometimes kids need to write an essay because they need to write an essay, and those are the skills that you're looking at. But sometimes they can demonstrate their understanding of whatever historical period or whatever you know cultural point you're trying to make. By doing a visual presentation, by doing a slideshow, by doing a podcast, you don't always have to say no when they ask you if they can do it differently. Right, right. Variety is good. And also when you grade the same thing 100 times in a year, you're kind of like, oh, please give me something else. <laughs> and that's the other thing. What I say to people is, do you want to create 150 essays or would you rather look at a few? <laughs> like they're a little quicker. They're a little easier on the eye. You're yeah, not you're, digestible. Yeah. Like, Palatable. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Palatable. That's a good word. <laughs> we go with that. I mean, we can't do anything food related, unfortunately, but we're going to go with palatable. But uh, it, it's funny that the more that this comes up, and you, you mentioned the pandemic as well, as going to remote learning and then hybrid and things like that. One of my units that I had just started doing, and then it was in 2019, and I just finished it, and then we went on first lockdown, uh, was a conspiracy podcast unit. Uh, and I wonder too, and Grant, this is shameless transition here. Because you've got, you have such a, a wide reach with your book and with the work that you're doing in schools, I mean, you're saying 100 a week, essentially, or whatever it may be, uh, have you ever considered starting your own podcast to actually get these ideas out there even further? I think my family would murder me if I did anything <laughs> else right now. So just, just to give you a sense of like, so during the day, I do this, this my job. Mm-hmm. I do my job during the day. I'm up at like four something in the morning because the two hours before everybody gets up and then I have to go to work, I'm writing books essentially or articles. I just signed a contract for my third book. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's very exciting. I have a very quick turnaround. I have to write a book in three months. So I'm I'm sorry. I don't have to. I get to. I get to. Good framing. framing. I like to frame it differently. Did you say three months? Three months. Yes. Wow. That is. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> it's okay. I kind of, I, I kind of work best like that, but it is, it is what it is. So, mm-hmm. um, and so, and then in the evening, you know, I'm trying to be a parent. So I think if I added a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're stretched, you're stretched pretty thin. Well, I guess in in that case, then what what's your go to form of self care? I mean, self care for teachers is already really low. It sounds like you have, you know, as little or even for or farther less time for yourself than a teacher would. How do you actually find time, you know, for yourself? Well, so first, I, I don't think anybody has time, so I'm not going to assume I have more or less. Um, if you're in a school, you don't feel like you ever have any time. I I, I remember those days all too clearly. Um, self-care for me is, uh, well, first of all, I, I'm a bar as in B-A-R-R-E. Okay, fanatic. Sure. It's a certain kind of workout. Both you know. of them are a workout, let's be honest. Both of them are, both of them are a different <laughs> kind of workout. So I, I do that. Um, I'm very into, and I did this, um, I do this no matter where I work school-based, not school-based, getting outside. Yeah. Outside for me is a self-care thing. I need to do that once a day. And um, I have a passion for crossword puzzles. So okay. <laughs> it's like it's like little stupid things. And I get really excited when, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there's a show out of Ireland called Dairy Girls that was season three was going mm-hmm. on to Netflix. That's right. I like have, a couple I've days ago. 
Right. Last night I was watching episode one of season three and I was on the floor laughing and I was so happy because Liam Neeson was on it. And that to me, that's oh, wow. self-care. Like, sure. yeah. And, and that, and also, and this is just like a, it, it started when I was um, in the classroom and now it's, it's, you've got to be ready the night before for what's going to happen the next day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, instructionally materials wise and food wise, I have the best cooler that I drag with me everywhere I go. Anyone who's ever worked with me makes fun of me because I'm like an inveterate snacker. And um, you, you just have to do that. Like you have to be ready because things are going to cave in on you all the time. Oh, yeah. I notice. I know when I've had a field trip the day before because the day after I always get sick because I don't have my water bottle on me that I drink religiously. Uh, I'm going to have to do like a little cooler to drag with. That's cool. That's a good idea. Um, yeah. Thank you. So, I mean, you have a nice mix of indoor outdoor stuff, which that's of course nice. Uh, when, when you actually like think about all these things that you're you're doing, all the books, all the all the you're doing, you said blogs and articles and things that you're posting as well. Uh, what's your strategy for being able to set a boundary? I have people that write in all the time and they take on like a million different things. You've taken on a million different things or so. What's like your hard line when you're like, you know what, I'm gonna. I'm going to save time for the other things, my self-care, my family, the work that I am currently doing. And that, that's a little bit too much. Well, there's a couple of things. Um, I, my phone goes dead at 830 every night. Oh, wow. I need to start doing that. <laughs> it just does. I'm not looking at it. I can't hear it. I can't see it, um, which annoys family members of mine who, like, like in an emergency, we can't reach him. Like, call the other one in my house. <laughs> my, son, my son, also, my son has his phone. Deal with him. Um, and the other thing is, I'm very. This is a this is a religious thing, but I I, I am digital detoxing every week for 25 hours. Okay. Oh wow, that's awesome. So I don't I use I don't use electronics between Friday night and Saturday night every week. Yeah. So for me, that gives me plenty of time to do all the nerdy things with my family. You know, puzzles and walks and. Oh, and the dog, the dog needs attention. So, all, you know, just that awareness of getting away from, from what seems like it's urgent because a long time ago, and I think I put this in the book, someone said to me, your urgency, and they weren't trying to be rude. They were trying to make a point. Mm-hmm. Your urgency is not my urgency. Yeah. And I think phrase. about that all the time, <laughs> you know, like, cause we get these emails and they've got the exclamation points on them. It's like, oh, you have to get to this right away. Actually, no, I, I don't. I don't have to get to this right away. So I have this box in my head, the Eisenhower matrix box, the okay. important, urgent, not important, not urgent. <laughs> yeah. Almost every email goes into the not important, not urgent category. Almost every single yeah. one. Some of them are important and not urgent. Very few are urgent and important. So you just have to think about it in terms of what feels like someone trying to get a hold of me isn't. And also, if it's at all possible, these phones that we have, we shouldn't be using them for work mm-hmm. unless our district is paying for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The work phone or the personal phone with your work email on it. Absolutely. That's for sure a thing. Well, and people are going to laugh at me when they hear that. They're going to be like, oh, you know, yeah, easy for you to say. I'm trying to communicate with the person down the hall and this is the fastest way to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. But just be aware that for that convenience, you are now creating a situation where when you leave your your school, when you leave your work, when you, they're going to be there then too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's, the absolute worst person that you don't want to communicate with outside of right. <laughs> outside of work. Uh, and it's funny too. I mean, I don't think a lot of people are going to, are going to, you know, balk at that because we've talked about that as well, where I think during the summer I committed to taking my work email off of my phone 
granted it is back on so i am guilty of, of doing that um but i actually i took a a full pd that it, it took me about eight hours to complete online and it was about teacher self-care and it, so it's funny that you mentioned the not urgent urgent uh priority versus not priority like that's how i set up my to-do list now which is it's been game changing, but I still have a lot of work to do in uh, in that regard. Um, yeah, so, my to do lists are, are very nerdy too. I have like an A, B, and C in terms of urgency, and then like oh, nice. sub, and sometimes I don't get to C ever. Oh yeah, yeah. I always do. I I always do A. Yeah, that's smart too because you're kind of you're putting codes to it. Like if someone if someone's like, hey, can you help me with this? And you go, yep, and you put it on the not urgent list. <laughs> be like, hey man. Right. Uh, so I love that. But so your your transition from. Uh, classroom to what you're doing now uh about how many years have you been out of the classroom now well i say out of the classroom with air quotes because you know you're still impacting students it feels longer but i just started (laughs) my fourth year out of the classroom okay i left in 2019 and you know i it's interesting to me because i left at the same time that i started publishing they happened they happened concurrently and that wasn't the intention Mm -hmm. that was just how it all played out Sure. And I was thinking about um, Malcolm Gladwell has this theory about how like you need 10,000 hours of something mm-hmm. to, Be so I think I had 10,000 hours and then I was suddenly an expert. <laughs> but I also think that the idea of expertise is very flawed. So I sure. say that mostly jokingly. <laughs> right. Well, we, will, we will still award you the, you know, the, the expert uh, element. You have gotten your 10,000 hours. Um, it, it's funny too. Uh, there, there was someone that mentioned uh, on a podcast like a while ago, where it's like they got out in 2019. They're like, what did you know? Did you know it was coming on the horizon? <laughs> uh, do you look back at that and think like, wow, that really was the perfect time? Or did you see it as like a, like you're like, oh, I, w- I wish I could have experimented during that time. Because we truly had no idea what we were doing when we suddenly had to adapt to this. Some kids are here in front of you and some kids are not world. And of course, the completely digital world. So I got lucky in that I got to do both. So I had been working in my new job for all of seven months when the <laughs> pandemic started and we flipped to online. And pretty soon, a lot of my job was about being in schools to be places where teachers could not. I mean, teachers oh. were going out right and left. Like think about the Omicron, round one of Omicron a year yeah. ago. Yeah, that really Pretty much every out. day for a month. I mean, I'm doing things I'd never done before. I taught, you know, every grade, every subject, um, <laughs> kids in different buildings. I learned all about opening yogurts for kindergarten kids. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm not a yogurt Changing person. Changing diaper. And yeah, also, I, <laughs> you, know, you, you just learn all these little details. And so I also got a chance to do a lot of Zoom teaching. Okay. Because when we had not yet gone back to buildings, I was also covering in that respect. And I was also teaching teachers through Zoom. And I teach a class on how to be a skillful teacher. And so it was really important for me to learn how to be a good Zoom teacher. Mm -hmm. And then to learn how to be a good hybrid teacher. That was a whole other, I'm sorry, that's just a nightmare. That situation where you're trying to do two things at the same time. That's the word I was thinking, nightmare. Some people, yeah, people can do it well, but it's really hard. And I remember I was helping out in a cosmetology class. Not something I know how to do. It was, uh, we were learning how to highlight hair and I was assisting the teacher because it was the first day of getting hybrid set up. And there are kids at home with their like dummy heads with the hair or oh, trying cool. to do it at home. They actually had it at home. home material. That's cool. Cause they sent home, like, you know, we sent home materials for kids Sure. and there are kids in the classroom who are doing it. And I'm just like, wait, who am I? <laughs> so I learned right along with, with everybody else. Um, and so I feel like I didn't completely miss out on that experience, that joyful experience. <laughs> Aren't you of, glad? 
Yeah, a pivoting. At the same time, you know, one thing I did notice the entire time through the entire pandemic, and I, I had this joy because I have three children at home who were doing hybrid because they were home for a while when a bunch of kids had gone back. And good teachers are good teachers. You know, they, they figured it out. And it wasn't because they were the most technologically adept teachers sure. or the most. There was no there was no through line of experience or knowledge. It was just they were dedicated to making sure that every single kid was seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that was awesome. Yeah, that was absolutely. awesome. Uh, I don't look back on that time with, <laughs> I remember just simplify, simplify, simplify. Like I think day I know, one. Every time they talk about new variants, like every time I hear about, oh, it's not done. I'm like, hmm, be quiet. <laughs> right. Please, please let us start to recover. Um, well, so I guess my, my last thing here, and uh, we'll be sure to like let people know where you can get the book and we'll put that in the description itself. Um, but if there is one thing that you want people to take away, whether it's your past students or your current readers, what's the number one thing, like the number one, uh, like, tagline that you hope people remember you and your work by? Wow. Um, I believe that we just need, I mean, and this is, this is not, this is not a, a novel concept, but it's one that I believe in. And that is that our value and our worth as learners, you know, as people who occupy first a, sco- a scholarly, like a school space and then eventually a workplace, mm-hmm. we all have something valuable. We all have expertise. We can all learn from one another. There is no one person or a group of people who have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've always been so intent on making sure that we see kids from every possible perspective. Because, you know, if we're if we teach one way, we see kids one way. And it might not be the way that shows them to the best advantage. Mm-hmm. And so just constantly digging at that validity and making people feel their value is is what we should be doing the most. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you see it all the time too, when people kind of, they, in the traditional sense or setting, they will even belittle themselves being like, oh yeah, I'm just not good at this. And that's not it at all. Um, and, and real quick too, the, the actual, so your microphone cut out for a little bit, but it was, uh, they all bring uh, value to, or what was the, that's when it cut, it was like the worst timing yeah. ever for, for Google. Yeah, it, the, the message really is you matter. Okay, I love and that. it's not yeah. just that you and it's not just that you matter as a person. Your ideas matter. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts matter. Your contributions matter. You have something to give to the world. And it might be the world of our classroom, and it might be the larger world or your domestic world, any world that you inhabit. Mm-hmm. You are not coming at this with anything less. Excellent. So I really I really believe that strongly. I wish that I had received that message when I was a kid. So yeah. I'm very passionate about giving it to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and thank you. So I just, I'm, I got the gist of it. I wanted to make sure too with the, the terrible timing of Google Meets cutting out. But, uh, it, and that's for sure. I, I'm right there with you. I mean, whenever I like see someone, even if they've been a complete asshole to me all week, it's when they walk in, it's, hey, I'm, I'm glad to see you. Or when it's the end of the week, it's, hey, stay safe, you know, have a good weekend, get some rest, things like that. Uh, to the point where you'll even see them physically shift when you say, hey, I'm happy to see you, or hey, welcome. Even if they're late, even if they're rude to you the previous day or whatever, uh, it is still, hey, you as a person, I value you. Uh, yeah. And it's not easy to get you know students to believe that for themselves. Or uh, mm-hmm. the phrasing of saying, instead of saying, I'm proud of you, it's you should be proud of yourself for what you just did right there. Um, so I love that as a, as a tagline. Right, so, and the specificity of it. Exactly, exactly. You know. 
So, uh, well, Miriam, so the book itself, uh, where can people check it out? Where can they get it? I mean, I'm assuming it's where books are, but just in case. It is where books are. So Amazon's always my favorite. Talk okay. about your instant gratification. But yeah, Teach More, Hover Less is on Amazon. And my next book is on pre-order there. So you can always look for that too. It's called Lead Like a Teacher. Nice, Lead Like a Teacher. All right. Do we do we get a preview or is that something that the publisher is going to say, no, no, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> well, the preview is that it's a it's essentially how to lead your school in such a way that you incorporate the teacher's perspective so that you so that we can close what I call the empathy gap, which is that the second you leave a classroom, you have to recognize your credibility in terms of instruction has lessened. Everyone needs to recognize that. So then how can you bridge that gap between the front office and and the classroom? Yeah, absolutely. And sorry, you hear my dog in the back room right there. It's okay. Mine is just being quiet. Everyone's got a dog. It's all good. <laughs> I had him on a lick pad too. Yeah, I love that too. And I, I feel like, so your first book too, as you're going around with that sort of approach, you're getting less uh, pushback than I would have expected. I feel like now with your next book, I'm hoping that that is still the case. But we... I'm hoping, but you know what? I mean, and there's a huge disclaimer at the beginning of the second one, which is I did not go. I have certification in administration and supervision. I have sat on administration teams in many different ways, but I have not chosen to be an administrator. And I almost yet. asked you about that. Yeah. And and granted, I was mm -hmm. initially thinking like, oh, how is the administrator element too? But based on your passions and things like that. So, but yeah, for sure that that credibility and, and element too. But I love that. I'm excited. Um. Well, Miriam, thank you for being uh, on the podcast for this one. Uh, I forgot to mention too, I was drinking basically like a mimosa type deal. Were you doing like a, a teacher? Nice. Teacher what time of day thing? is it? Oh, you're on Central Time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm having a, okay, I'm having a Cherry Coke Zero. Nice. Okay, so you're going the, the healthier option. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's healthier. It's, it's a substance, right? Like it's just which substance do you pour into your body? Sure, sure. Which choice are you going with today? So, uh, well, so maybe for when the next book comes out, uh, please let us know. We can do some sort of a, a follow up, see how things are going, and That'd be, awesome. uh, be sure to plug that. So, all right. Well, uh, thanks again. Uh, I'll I'll let you know like when this is going to come out and stuff like that. But um, right. it, it was lovely talking and, and meeting you. Lovely and, and talking to you too. I'm excited to read the book. So. Thank you. Um, and if you need, if you did the publisher, were they going to send you one? I don't even remember what was supposed to happen with that. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, let me, I'll check with Matt and then I'll, I'll okay. see what's going on. All right. Let me know if you need anything in that regard. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Thanks again, Miriam. All right. I'll talk Take to you care. Bye-bye. Right, All right, guys. So that was Miriam. I mean, that was awesome. I mean, I, I wish that we had done this as like a, a video just because she's very engaging. Uh, so we're, we do these through Google Meet when they're not in person. Obviously, I'm not going to travel to Maryland real quick. Uh, for Indigenous Peoples Weekend, I'm gonna, I'm staying home. Uh, I'm gonna catch some some football uh, after this because it is Sunday that we're recording this, but we have Monday off, so it's okay that I'm having mimosas, uh, even though it's like a mango mimosa. You get the point. Uh, anyways, thank you guys so much for listening to this one. Uh, be sure to check out Miriam's book. I will link that in the description for the the podcast episode, and we'll be sure to put something on social media as well. Um, if you want, you can reach out classroombrew@gmail.com or at Classroom Brew on social media, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter. I don't know if we even still use Twitter, but you get the point. Um, we do have that Patreon. So the podcast merch, like the t-shirts, the koozies, the shot glasses, and all that stuff, uh, you can be sure to go to patreon.com slash classroombrew if you want to support the show. It helps out Matt and I with some of the production costs, but also it helps us pay for that merch to be able to send that out and ship it. Uh, pay for it and, and ship it, that is. Uh, so thank you guys so much. Hope you're staying safe, staying healthy, and until next week, Class dismissed.
Classroom Brew.